There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. It's great being back with you again for another week. Uh, another fantastic guest in Jane Gunn, um, who's been on the show possibly twice before. I'm trying to remember now whether it's once or twice. I think it's twice. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I know we've got uh, an exciting conversation in store today. And we're going to talk about conflict resolution. Uh, and it's in, in challenging times. Uh, before I do that, I'd like to say, obviously, a big thank you to uh, my guest last week. If you didn't listen to the show with Jacqueline Lane and Scott Osman, uh, we talked about uh, we talked about Becoming Coachable, which is their new book. They have an agency with Marshall Goldsmith that's called 100, mm -hmm. uh, 100 um, Agency, I think, 100 Coaching Coaches Agency. And uh, they were really fascinating guests. And Scott was actually uh, bravely, I think, and uh, on his honeymoon. So he, he actually um, took the time out on his honeymoon, uh, which was uh, in Jamaica at uh, the the place where Ian Fleming wrote the James Bond books. Um, so he was he was away there last week. Uh, and um, yeah, it was a fascinating conversation, really thought-provoking. You know, are you really truly coachable? And even if you are being coached, um, are there areas that you're kind of resistant to? Uh, we all need to step up today. We all need to, I believe, through our work, contribute to a better world. We are in a time of challenge, a time of uh, of conflict, and I think we need to have the skills to uh, be able to uh, make a difference and uh, move forward in this world and leave a positive uh, legacy. Um, so that's going to be uh, the show. Um, this um, and this this sorry, uh, that was the show last week. So do go and check that out. Um, so wherever you are in the world, you're probably mindful that we are in this period of uh, change. We've described it on the show as being like a winter. Uh, these periods happen every 80 or so roughly years and have happened through history where we go through almost the seasons of spring, of uh, summer, of autumn, and then things get tough in winter and we end up with challenges and conflicts. And then we reconcile ourselves and go back into, into spring again. And I think we are in that, that winter. It happens uh, during most people's lives if they live to 80 years that you get a period like this. Um, but how do we really manage conflict how do we ensure that it doesn't escalate how do we get really smart at kind of nipping it in the bud and uh, and getting on and dealing with it quickly uh, jane uh, my guest today is renowned she's actually renowned as the barefoot mediator uh, so um I'm intrigued as to where she, whether she's wearing shoes at the moment. Um, she's looking, <laughs> sitting here looking very, very smart. Um, uh, and she's a, a distinguished uh, figure in conflict resolution. And she she brings uh, lots and lots of experience. She's a trade, uh, trained mediator, a facilitator, uh, and uh, the president of the Chartered Institute of Arbitrage, or, or was. Um, she's recognized in Who's Who Mediation and the Legal 500 Hall of Fame. Her insights are 
really um, helpful and in great demand. I mean, um, just before we were doing this interview, her phone was ringing and ringing with people wanting help. So it shows uh, the need for not only Jane's services, but this situation that we're in uh, right now where people are finding themselves a lot of conflict. Uh, Jane, I've known for an, a number of years. She, When I first met her, she was a um, president, uh, a joint president, I think, of the Professional Speaking Association. And I've always loved my conversations with her. She's just a, a super lovely character who's kind of smart and wise, just somebody that you want to know and are proud to have in your network. And I think that's the reason, you know, such prestigious organizations like the United Nations and the White House, she's worked there um, giving speeches and she's worked with some amazing organizations like um, like the NHS and McLaren and, and various others. She's um, written a number of very popular books. Uh, the first one's got a great title. Are you ready? How to beat bedlam in the boardroom and boredom in the bedroom. Um, I'm not going to share that one with my wife. I might get some comments on that. Um, the Authority Guide to Conflict Resolution. And her latest work is called The Mal. Sorry, the mole, the mole and the mountain, um, which was published in December 2023. So we'll find out about uh, moles, not mouths, uh, very soon. Um, but a big welcome to Jane Gunn. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> lovely to be back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lovely to see you. And it's been a, been a few years now. I should have looked back uh, at yeah. the time, but probably four or five years, I suspect. I would think was... about five, probably. Five, yeah. yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? When you, this has been going on for 13 years, I think you were one of my earlier guests as well. On I the was. Show. Yeah, um, I think I'm pretty sure I've been on twice, Chris, and certainly yeah, twice yeah. at the beginning. And and uh, it's been such a delight to be back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we sort of see each other every few years, and we yeah, yeah and we just sort of uh, mindful how time moves on. Um, so Jane, <laughs> it has been a few years since you were last on the show. Tell us a little bit about what's been going on for you. Well, you've alluded to it, Chris. There's been this period of change, challenge, crisis, or in fact, we're in it. And I talk about it as being a sort of cycle of crisis that we seem to be in currently. You know, everything seems to be in crisis. It doesn't matter whether you're looking at government systems or the NHS, for example. Um, everything seems to be in crisis and, and struggling. And therefore, that also means a lot of people are in conflict, too. Um, and so... Uh, I have felt that the skills and the tools and the mindset, what I do, which is mediation, no longer only apply to legal disputes or even to commercial disputes, but actually we could all benefit from those skills and tools. Um, and so it's going back to the principles of, of that discipline that I practice in dispute resolution, mediation and thinking, how could I help people to understand those skills and tools in the mindset and we could all apply them to help us through this period? Yeah. So you, you find, it, find it sound like you're finding yourself busy during this period? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got. I can think of quite a few areas to, that could really, really do with your help right now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it so was lovely to hear yesterday, actually, Chris, by the way, a colleague sent me, you know, there are mediators working behind the scenes in, for example, in, in Gaza. So, you know, there are often mediators behind the scenes that we don't see or hear about in the mainstream news. But, you know, this is being used as a tool in many, many areas. Yeah, yeah. I think we have to be very mindful, don't we, that there is a a narrative that the media portray 
um, focusing in on all of these issues and challenges. And it's easy to think that's how the world is generally when actually there's so much positivity and goodness and kindness that is still going on and, yes. and people working hard behind the scenes to try and bring people together and, 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 and collaborate. And we mustn't lose sight of that because you can start to feel that there isn't hope. Yes, definitely. And, and there is a lot of hope. And I think there's a lot that we can do as individuals. I think one of the challenges I find is that, um, we're always looking for someone to save us. We're looking for, you know, who's going to be the person who's going to come in and say, it's all going to be all right, follow me. And there isn't one, I don't believe. I think it's us and it's our, us as individuals working out what our values and principles are and how do we stand up um, for what we believe in and how do we put some of these sort of conflict resolution principles into practice, even in our own lives. And then, you know, the tide begins to turn. Yeah. I think it's a really, really powerful and important point, isn't it? We can we can look to others, but actually we need to look into ourselves and think, what can we do? How can yeah. we contribute? Yeah. To something something better uh, than is that and there is plenty of opportunity to focus on things. You mentioned there the the NHS and um there are organizations that need help, there are people that need help. There are governments that need help. There's uh, loads of places you can point your skills at. Mm. And there are a lot of people within business who need help. I, I think one of the important things today is to create, well, if you've got young people working in organisations, is to create a narrative in an organisation that is really compelling and hopeful and visionary and energising. So they they uh, go into that space and um, and realise that life is is good and, it, and, and can be positive. And, uh, yep. yes. you know, they can join in your movement and uh, move yes. forward. <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know, it's about creating this, you know, a, a, an alternative culture, if you like, to the one of doom and gloom. We should all stop doom scrolling, I say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> De definitely, definitely. <laughs> so tell me a, a bit about, you know, give us an overview of, of, of what conflict resolution entails. You know, I'm mindful of this, you know, some of the leaders at the moment seem to be, better at uh, thinking about destroying each other. Mm -hmm. well, you mentioned there are people working behind uh, and solving conflicts. What does it entail? What What is conflict resolution? Well, quite simply, from my perspective as a mediator, conflict resolution is about dialogue. And um, one of the features about conflict is it's a process. It's the process by which we as individuals or as groups express how we are dissatisfied or unhappy with each other or a situation we're in. And it's that behaviour, whether that's firing weapons at each other or shouting at each other or going quiet or sabotaging something at work. You know, it's those behaviours that are the outcome of conflict, that is the process of it. So uh, what we need to do is to stop that escalator. And it literally is like, you know, I need to press the red button and say, stop. Yes. Uh, we've got to stop the escalator um, wherever it's got to. And there's the sort of several steps in that process that it, it goes through. Uh, it, you know, it starts at the top with people no longer talking to each other. Then they gather groups around them, advisors and supporters and so on. Then they create narratives. Then they start issuing threats and taking these actions. And right down at the bottom of that escalation phase or um, steps 
is how do I save face and how do we prevent ourselves going into the abyss together? And, you know, we can think very much of that in terms of an international conflict. We see the potential for us all to sort of disappear over the edge into some ghastly scenario that nobody really wants. But how do we stop this escalation? So the first thing is to say stop. You know, for the moment, we're going to stop. We're going to step off this escalator. And then we need to initiate a process where we can both think clearly and have a productive, effective dialogue about what are our options? How could we move forward? What could we do? Who else could we involve? And I think those are the steps that are quite hard to do, uh, particularly on the, you know, the larger scale. You get the big organization or a global conflict. You know, who needs to be involved? Who needs to be at the table? How do we structure this dialogue? But it's certainly possible. Um, and those are the steps um, that we need to take. So it's exactly the same for a global leader as it is for a CEO of an organization as it is for the head of a family business. Yeah. Um, obviously, it gets more complex the more stakeholders you've got and the more diverse interests you've got and the more different values you've got. But it's the process remains the same. Uh, one of the th things I remember from one of our earlier conversations that stuck in my mind was was the you know the importance of actually spotting things early yes yeah yeah because yeah. actually there's there's a journey isn't there you, know, you yeah. talk you talk about sort of pressing the red button but that red button you need to need to go stop when things are starting to get out of, out of hand that's right but actually we could do a lot by observing and then handling leaning into something with some emotional intelligence perhaps to stop it causing something more significant further down the line. So the biggest challenge I find with my clients, and more so now than ever because of sort of our, our fear of speaking up about things for, for various reasons, is that we don't recognise when we're not having effective dialogue. So one of the big questions is what conversations are we not having and why are we not having those conversations? So where is the conversation not happening or where is it broken down? And spotting at that stage, hang on, we need to be having a better dialogue there's something here we need to talk about yes. and again it's the same in the international field you know what are some of the big issues we're just sidestepping and we're looking we're looking in the wrong place often yeah yes mm. yeah yeah so so there's something about about looking at those and identifying those earlier um mm. i mean, I mean so, so in just to help us understand in in terms of your your work right now is this your prime focus to help people through conflict is that what you do yes primarily? So i do that in various different ways i do it either as a mediator so i might go into a situation as a what you call a neutral third party i take no sides i write no reports i make no decisions i don't make any judgment i come in facilitate a dialogue help the parties to clarify what their problem is about, what are the issues, what are the options for moving forward, and we go through a process where they talk about it and they decide. Um, and so that's the sort of mediation process. But aside from that, I'm really involved and I've always been passionate about how can I help people to understand these principles that I have been trained in and how could they apply them so that they could stop the escalation much earlier. Yeah. Yeah, makes yeah, makes makes loads of sense. Let's let's um, maybe delve into the into that sort of journey then. Um, so, uh, to the point, I guess you get a call. 
is when things are really starting to go wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So give, give me some. Give me some examples. Maybe some of, you, <laughs> some of your clients that you can, or situations, scenarios you can talk about without breaking any confidentiality. Yeah. So I've, as I mentioned, I've had several calls today of people saying, "Can you help?" So um, one is uh, a workplace situation. So there'll be you know, maybe a senior manager and an employee who not getting on, for example. That could be one example. Um, this year I've had, and I think we will have more of uh, small businesses, entrepreneurial businesses where, you know, people have had a great idea. They founded a business together, but somehow founder becomes flounder and they, yeah. they uh, you know, they're, they're not they're not clear where they're going, but they're also falling out between themselves, the founders of the business. And then they need to decide, are they going forward together? Is one of them leaving? How do they value their share in the business? This kind of thing. Um, it's quite diverse. I, you know, I also I do work um, with different elements of healthcare as well. And that's, you know, that's also a very, very interesting place to work right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and do you do you find yourself sometimes? Do you ever find yourself in situations where you're mediating between departments for you know, silos in an organisation? Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you know this is this is a challenge that I think you know <laughs> the human like the human condition. You know the way that we instinctively behave as we form groups and those groups grow so this is more sort of organizational psychology i suppose but it's terribly interesting to understand again there's a process there and as a group grows you know the more you become larger the harder it is to apply principles and values that keep everybody together and it's interesting to think well how does that uh, enable or, or a group to fall apart or to to lack cohesion and then they do form these silos um so you know part of it can also be looking at how do we structure things along the way to avoid some of the problems later on yeah so i'm just my mind just going back to a, a scenario where i find myself with two departments in a room uh, and and trying to mediate between the two two departments uh, initially they weren't getting on uh, and and in the end it it came down to uh, a administrator uh, it's a, quite a lot of years ago now i'll, I'll give him a different name dave um, <laughs> but but it came down to basically uh, he had a process to follow and he always followed it because that was his process and he yeah. wouldn't budge and, yeah. and once once he realized um we said you know but i can't do that because the process says this but I mean, if somebody rewrote the process for you would you follow it yeah, absolutely uh, <laughs> and uh, it's only <laughs> Everybody ended up bursting out laughing because he just suddenly yeah. this angst and frustration was coming down to him having been very process driven and thinking he was employed to always follow the process and, uh, yeah. and it got worse and worse. But uh, they, they they worked a lot better after that, which was great. And that's a great illustration, Chris, of the fact that sometimes the problem is not what we think the problem is. You know, you, when you drill down a bit, you go, oh, the problem is I need someone to write the process rather than something else you know (laughs) when we drill down we usually find a that you know whether somebody's right or wrong is irrelevant it's really what is the problem and what are the options for resolving it and it doesn't it's not about somebody being more right than the other and even in legal cases that's that's the fact um and then the problem isn't always 
what people say it is. It's usually something else. <laughs> I give, I'll give you an example of that. I had a lovely one with two um, owners of a business who were falling out and I was brought in to help them help them come together and then work with the, the team. And, and they really didn't, were struggling with each other. And, and I, I kind of, we did load up some work and profiling and talk through the issues. And after a couple of sessions, they really came back together again. They started having dinner with each other and again with their partners. And they started to realize actually he's very different in style to me. And that's why I'm, he's very creative and I'm more detailed and process driven. And, and, and we really got to a, a great place with them. But then one day, one of them called me and said, Chris, all this work you've done, it's really, it's been brilliant. But we've gone back into the same state again uh, and i said I'm, you know, I'm i'm sorry to hear that and he said i said what's happened he said well he's just completely off with me this morning um i don't know what's what i've done but you know i don't feel i think the relationship's not great whatever so anyway i i said okay that, that's fine um i'll i might have a little chat with this i rang him up the other guy up and just said you know how are, how are things are you okay and he said oh chris he said i did something this weekend that i've not done for a long time i went to a beer festival and i got really drunk and i have a, a terrible hangover this morning so, so i rang the other one back I said, don't worry it's not you he's just he's just got a hangover and that was it you know I, so one of the things and one of the lessons i learned from one of my mentors in mediation was test all assumptions to extinction so we make these assumptions and we assume oh i'm assuming it's me or i'm assuming that but not maybe not true at all so you know when you actually say oh i'm i'm you know i was assuming this no no it wasn't that at all it was something completely <laughs> different <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a bit about the concept of the red button resolution process then and maybe how that's uh you talk about the red button how that maybe differs to you know the traditional conflict resolution approach yeah so um in traditional dispute resolution um i guess the parties are typically focused on how they might overwhelm or subdue the opposition right. <laughs> um, by which i mean you know if you think about it, it might be uh, we talked about already you know it might be aggression or violence as in a playground fight or domestic abuse or a or a global conflict or, or even um or as in a legal dispute they might be focused on who's right or wrong and that might be morally or legally um, so, you know, uh, so that's that's the sort of typical um, framework for dispute resolution, whereas in and then um, in arbitration or in litigation or even in uh, in an organisation where you've got a complaints or grievance process, you've got usually a third party who's making a decision based on those, you know, d definitely on the sort of right or wrong framework. Um, and they're looking at the problem as black or white. And we call that zero sum. In other words, you know, one party is going to be all right. The other party is going to be all wrong. But that is not actually generally the case. It is very rarely the case that one person is completely right. The other person is completely wrong. So the principles of mediation, as I practice it, the key principle is self-determination. In other words, you give the power back to the parties themselves and you say you decide, you decide on the solution, you decide on the way forward. But I'm going to give you a framework within which you can have that dialogue and make that decision. Right. Second principle is what we call it's interest based. So instead of being what we call positional bargaining, it's principled. So it's based on um, what matters to people. What are their values? What do they need to get out of this rather than who was right or who was wrong? Yes. 
so not power rights but and there's a wonderful story that i can share and i'm sure some of the listeners may have heard this but it's the orange story and um it comes i think from the book getting to yes or from the harvard project negotiation but the illustration is you've got one orange and two maybe two children fighting about it could be two adults maybe <laughs> but they're fighting about the orange and you know if you were the third party say a parent coming in how would you resolve that and uh, you know most people put their hand up and say well i'd just cut the orange in half that would be a good compromise wouldn't you see well that would be a good compromise certainly they'd get half each but what if you ask them why did you want the orange and one person said oh i wanted the orange because i was just going to bake a cake and i was going to grate the rind or i was going to make some marmalade so i only needed the i only needed the outer shell of the orange and the other said oh i was really thirsty and i just wanted to squeeze the orange then both of the people could have 100% of what they wanted. Yes. So the key thing is, what are the principles? What's your why? Why do you need the orange? Or why do you need what you, what is it you want? Why do you want it? What are your hopes, fears, beliefs, values? You know, let's look at all of that, unpack yeah. it, and then see what, what might match that. And then the third principle, certainly again in the way I practice, is what we call transformative dialogue. So it's not about, it's not a sort of psychological principle saying we're going to transform the people. It's about how do we transform the dialogue for, which is broken down um, from being what we call weak and self-absorbed. Um, often parties who may be behaving aggressive or in a bullying way, inside they feel quite disempowered and they're also quite self-absorbed they're quite absorbed in their own story uh, and the way parties uh, come back to relating best in a mediation is to become stronger uh, much more certain about these things that matter to them and also responsive able to respond to what they're hearing from the other party about what's important to them so that strong and responsive is where we're getting to. And so this is, again, the challenge of mediation is how do you get the people to, to, to make these shifts so that they begin to see the other as well as themselves and then say, oh, I can see, I can see where I come from and now I understand why, but I can also see that for the other party and how can we combine those two to look at options and there's another lovely uh illustration not really a story but it's an illustra illustration of and i saw it on a our colleague's wall this week it's a it's a picture we've used a lot in a mediation and it's a cheese there's a big wedge of cheese and three little mice uh and the mice are so tiny next to the cheese but one of the mice is looking at the square end of the cheese of course all he can see is a square the other mouse is up at the top and he can see a triangle and the third mouse is at the side and he can see an oblong so it's just to say we all see something different mm. and when we share oh i could see a square this is what my world looked like we just share those things um then we can move forward so those are the that's that's it in a nutshell big nutshell but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> on, on orange or cheese <laughs> yeah yeah orange and cheese <laughs> on that note we're going to go to commercial break and after the, after the commercial break we'll we'll start to look at um you know, some of the co common kind of challenges that might occur um i'm also really keen to find out about uh, Jane's new book and uh, ex her experiences with the United Nations and the White House. So <laughs> we'll move into those areas after the break. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Say It Skillfully is my radio show about being who you are and saying what you think needs to be said. This is your host, Molly Chang. I'll help you find the right words to tackle any challenging conversation you've been avoiding. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. You'll learn how to achieve success on your terms and be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in your life. Check out SayItSkillfully.com for practical resources, including my 90-second videos, real-life examples showing you how to speak up skillfully. I invite you to call in with your questions. Join me live every Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. And no, I'm cheering for you. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Jane Gunn. We were talking about, I've been talking about conflict and, and mediation. Uh, and I just, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there. Should um because your 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 background is legal, isn't it? Yeah, I'm a lawyer. Yes, a yes. lawyer. So, uh, and I have sat in many meetings with lawyers going back, um, admittedly, some years when I was involved with procurement and large um, procurement deals. And what I did find is that the, the lawyers often held things back with small. Um, points that they thought but was important rather than helping to to mediate and broker what could be a really positive deal in the kind of some of the hope hope would 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 come out of the deal during the negotiation but the energy would drop because you were looking at small print yeah and I think it's I think it's the way lawyers are trained it's maybe the mindset of people become lawyers you know it's just (laughs) no and it and it actually is, you know, a kind of predominant mindset in society is that we see things as black and white, right or wrong. And we don't have this problem solving, critical thinking, creative yeah. thinking mindset. And, you know, if I go back to school, you know, that's actually how we're taught at school. And, you know, you've got to recite your tables and the, we're not taught how to think critically, how to question and and so thinking about well, what's the point of this contract, really, you know, and 
actually these days mediation one of the clients who rang me today said well mediation is it's it's in my contract so n now we've hit a roadblock with the contract we're coming to you because now we could have a dialogue about it nice. um but mediation has been used occasionally in contract negotiation to say well you know what do you want to get out of this rather than you know what clause do we need if something goes wrong um, and I, I actually have a, a five-step process that I take people through if they're going to form a partnership, which is what I call the five R's of relational agreement. And I haven't done notes on it, Chris, so don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's literally, you know, what is it that we would like? I did this with my business partner some years ago. And, you know, one of the things is, you know, what is it I, I what, where is it we anticipate we might we might clash. Mm. Um, we can think about that in advance. What What's the main area? And my colleague's response was, well, I, you know, I'm really worried. And this was true that, you know, I may not consult you. I might go off and make decisions without asking you. But we flagged that up to say, you know, here's some things that I recognize in myself that might cause some tension between us. And if I do that, please let me know. Um, and I'll try and be what, but Again, a contract is a bit of a dead thing. I like to think about living contracts. A contract is something you sign up to all these clauses and then yeah. just in the bottom drawer yeah. and then something get, goes wrong and you get out and give it to your lawyer and say, can we sue them or can't we? But a living contract, as in this five hours of relational agreement, is thinking about what's the relationship between us and how do we want to keep that going? And that you don't put in your bottom drawer. You get it out every so often and go, are we still on track? Is our relationship still good? Are we still working well together? And if not, what should we do about it? Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. Really, yeah, keep keeping it alive, keeping that dialogue, those reviews. Yep. Uh, I mean, prepared to look into yourself as well, rather than the other person. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like Always tough, but yes. Because <laughs> yeah, we are we are part of the relationship and often part of the problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so you'd advise companies to to um, I, I guess you know lean into issues quickly if they see them before they become you know momentous, but when you, when you see uh, the stress really building, press the red button. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and, and be prepared to step away. Yeah. And, and really think about it. And then this place of dialogue, it sounds like a, a place that requires some real emotional intelligence. Yes, it does. Um, you know, I, that's the challenge, I think, you know, and again, it comes back to that thing that I said at the beginning, you know, it's much easier to go to a third party, whether it's your boss or a lawyer or, or a judge and say, you decide, you tell me whether I'm right or wrong. And, and, you know, I'll abide by that, but I won't change anything about how I, you know, how I see the world or how I relate to people. I'll just carry on as before. But mediation, therefore, is tough. It does require you to take responsibility, to have a look at, you know, what, what, what's gone wrong, uh, what the options are to do this sort of what I call lateral thinking rather than linear thinking, you know, instead of thinking it's straight line because this so that we're thinking, well, what's the big picture? Um, and also what's this, what do I know about myself? Um, how can I better understand so one of the things that in transformative mediation requires you to understand is what is my experience? How do I experience conflict? 
Uh, so therefore, how do others experience conflict? What does it actually mean to me? Um, and we as mediators need to do that work too, to understand how our clients may be experiencing conflict, and then we can relate to that. Um, so it is about that this relating, being able to relate to the experience that others are having in this conflict dynamic. So I, I can imagine, you know, when, when when there is this conflict and somebody like yourself comes in. The fact that we've got a mediator in sort of slightly raises the stakes a little bit, makes us say this is quite serious. And mm. uh, how do you manage the emotions in the room? I, and I'm thinking about my, my mind's now going. We have a there's a big issue which some of you may be aware of in the United Kingdom around the Royal Mail mm. and the way they treat uh, at least 700 postmasters in in the UK um, when they were blaming them for a, a faulty. IT system. But in that situation, what seems to happen is sometimes the worst in people comes out, they are scared about their jobs, they're scared they're going to get into trouble, they're scared they're going to end up in court. They So you're actually not getting to the truth. How do you handle that? How do you handle it when, how do you create an environment where people can feel a degree of safety? So we talk about um, uh, the emotional barometer so when emotion is high and whether that's fear, which you've just talked about, and fear is usually the predominant uh, emotion in people. They are afraid of, you know, they're afraid of conflict. They're afraid of revealing the truth, maybe. Um, but uh, fear. So when emotion is high, logic is low. So you can't really have that logical, sensible dialogue when people are highly emotional. So it, that's why mediation itself is a process and it takes a while. And it's sometimes people say, well, we could just go in and we could negotiate. We don't need to do all this digging around and thinking yeah. about things. Well, you do because you've got to you've got to sort of reach a place where, you know, people are back to thinking sensibly and logically. And that that shift um, it, it is achieved by enabling people to feel heard and if possible, enabling all the people in the room to hear each other. And they do that through the mediator. And yeah. having a mediator there means they hear themselves at least twice because they say something and then it's reflected back by the mediator. So they hear what they said again and they hear it from a third party. So it's a process of each party uh, speaking, hearing each other, reflecting on that, reflecting on what that actually meant um, and that's the job of the mediator is to sort of translate and interpret um, and help people get clear about what's actually being said here what does that really mean where does that take you how do you feel when you hear that so you know it's it's quite a process really but it it's this listening is the really the heart of mediation mm. and what and at what point should an organization bring someone like you in um, versus handling it themselves I, I always say as early as possible but you know it depends you can't be sort of ringing ringing up a mediator every five minutes and, and and by the way you know that's really the focus of my work now is to say well let's have a process where you know people have got steps that they know that they can take on their own and they can go steps one to five on their own and though I don't need a media I don't need to call Jane until step five and if we yeah. resolve it ourselves before then then that's great 
Um, but typically people tend to pick up the phone a little bit too late. You know, they've got already got embroiled in a rather formal process. It's already gone to a, a grievance or to litigation and then they pick up the phone and it would be it would be easier for them and much cheaper to, if they were able to engage a little bit earlier and think about, you know, could we, you know, so it is spotting that escalation earlier and saying, actually, you know, things are beginning to break down. But yeah. typically, again, going back to fear, people are afraid of conflict and so they deny or avoid it. Right. Yeah. 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 And then, but then it's like pushing, pushing some, you know, some things under the, you know, everything under the carpet, you know, eventually yeah. it's going to become very visible, isn't it? But one of the notes I'd made here, Chris, is that conflict kills business. And that is a, you know, that is a, that's a truth. Conflict kills business. And it, it with a small business or an entrepreneurial business, it can kill it dead. Um, with a larger business, it, you know, it can take people out. They may go off on sick leave. They may be demotivated. Uh, teams may fall apart. But conflict kills business. And in the times we're in, my mantra is you need to resolve to survive. You've got to have this process of resolution at the foundation of your business. I, I, I think my, my work, I see, feel it sort of you, you, you um, it, it you know, kind of butts up to work to, to the work that you do, and I, I really find organisation. What I'm always trying to do is try to increase the flow in them and increase the energy in there. And mm -hmm. what I'm what I'm kind of hearing is that when you get into complex situation, they sap people, they yeah. reduce the energy, and actually if people are. Uh, uh, falling out when they should be liaising on other things with you know it, it, it impacts the flow which mm -hmm. eventually when the flow ultimately stops the business stops yes yeah i mean everything is about energy isn't it and you know even a business is about energy and if you sap the energy uh if you've removed people's energy then you know how do you create a dynamic business you can't no no well, i'm just looking sort of looking at the time now tell us a little bit about um the mole and the mountain <laughs> let's, let's go into something or, or, or i can't want to call the mole a little bit earlier but um well the mule or something the mole and the mountain yeah um, you tell us a little bit about this book and what it what it offers to yeah conflicts and organizations and right well it's a completely different book so you've mentioned the other two books i wrote and they are pretty much based around the principles of mediation and conflict resolution in different ways this is uh, so I go back a step. I think just before we started the sort of most recent pandemic crisis thing and the cycle we're in now, um, I'd had a vision of um, creating a, a map uh, that illustrates the journey that people go on through any kind of conflict or crisis. So I drew a map and it's got all sorts of little characters on it and it and it shows a journey from a crisis um, through the process to what I call the mountaintop of experience, where you can see more clearly where you're going and what you want to do. So this third book, and, and there's always been a little mole in my all my books, because um, I've had the illustrations done by uh, a lovely illustrator, uh, and there's always been a little mole. So what I've done is I've brought brought the little mole to life. And so this book is about the journey of a mole through this landscape. And the mole is rather significant because moles often live in the dark and they don't see, they don't look up very much. They don't see. So it's about what happens to this mole um, 
when a storm, when a period of, of conflict or a crisis, and it's actually a storm in his case, happens, and there's no going back to the world as it was before, you've got to move out and you've got to understand how you move through a different landscape. And the landscape of my map reflects very much the process of conflict resolution. So, for example, you know, where am I wearing the wrong shoes? Where have I got the wrong mindset or the wrong attitude or I've got the wrong advisor or I'm in the wrong job? Um, how much baggage am I carrying that's weighing me down? Then you get to this place in the journey, which I call the murky swamp of reality, which is where most of my clients are stuck, surprisingly. <laughs> it's like, oh, I can't. It's that lack of clarity. I can't see clearly. I can't see what the problem is. I can't see where I'm going. Um, and then you get to a place which is a crossroads. Do I go across what I call the bridge of courage or might I slip back into this deep abyss? the nowhere abyss. So this is the journey, really. And the idea is to get as far as the, the mountaintop, the vision that you have of a better, a better resolution, a better way, a better workplace. But how do you get there? Yeah. In yeah. a nut. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I suppose, you know, it, the, the, you know, the mole, I've, I've read the book, read the book and we've talked mm -hmm. about it before. And it, it's, I guess it's the, it, it's through the lens of the moles, moles experience, isn't it? So it's like the, yeah, I guess yeah. in a conflict situation, there'll be lots of moles potentially if it's quite a big yeah. conflict. Yeah, yeah. All, all going through their own journeys, but uh, experiencing those stages. So it's written as a parable, Chris, which is why it's very different. But I'm actually creating sort of workbooks and uh, resources that can help people. I'm just working with someone at the moment where we're going through each stage on the map and questioning sort of, you know, what what's what are you experiencing at this particular stage of the journey? Mm. Yeah. 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 So so is so would you say it's a it's a good book to read when you're going through conflict? I think it's a brilliant yeah. book. And it's interesting the feedback. I got one uh, piece of feedback. It's the <laughs> most pinched book I know. So <laughs> the most what, sorry? pinched people are pinching it from each other so oh, really oh brilliant yeah, it's been really <laughs> funny it's a number of people who've received a copy have said oh it disappeared somebody pinched it you know and <laughs> yesterday i was with a, a legal colleague of mine and he'd said oh, where's that mole book gone and his daughter said oh i've got it down i took it to university <laughs> 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 so this is a, I, it's really amusing i'm hearing that people are seeing it and pinching it and uh, so i need to send se several copies for each household um but yeah yeah well, somebody last summer told me uh, that they got uh, my my book from a a second-hand books bookstore all uh, right <laughs> but so they said the funny thing was it was signed <laughs> so, oh, yeah, they'd even get somebody even given away a signed copy oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah funny. so you've spoken at the united nations and the white house i mean what's yes. um, what did you take away from those experiences? <laughs> well, it, well, funny that a, a funny story just to start with. I went all the way to the United Nations. I I was speaking at both of those places uh, way back in 1998 uh, initially because we had a 
uh, a project called the Millennium Accord, which was looking at the Y2K bug, if you know. And we had this pro project was designed to um, have organisations and dispute resolution bodies sign up to a pledge to use mediation. So that's the backdrop to it. But I, I travelled all the way on my own to the United Nations, uh, never having done anything like this before, sat myself down in the main chamber, introduced myself to the guy next to me. And I said, oh, I'm Jane Gunn from Reading. And he said, I'm David from Reading. <laughs> <laughs> we go all that way and meet someone from Reading. <laughs> um, I just think we're all people. We're all vulnerable people. You go to these places and you think we're all the same. Nobody's any different. We're all we're all dealing with the same stuff. It doesn't matter whether you've got a title. Uh, you know, actually, when you come down to it, we've all got these fears, concerns, needs, worries, and. Um, yes, some people are high profile, but everybody is a vulnerable human being. Everybody's got their own baggage. Everybody's got their own way of seeing and interpreting the world. And, you know, that's what we need to understand, uh, I think, when we're living in this time cycle of crisis. And so that's why I think, you know, these skills and tools can apply anywhere. You know, you can take them into the United Nations or, um, you know, prevent us from destroying the <laughs> foundations of society it's uh, it, it's it's the same everywhere really we're all people <laughs> yeah yeah and, and and it's important isn't it to to connect with people yes uh, that, you know and you say you can connect with you know i was found amazing through this show over the years the, the amount of people i've connected with and some of those people you know i wouldn't have thought when I first started doing it, would really want to give me time of time of day. But actually, you yeah. can build a connection with anybody if you yes. have a sensible conversation and they've got a good heart and uh, you listen. And well, I I ended up um, befriending the ambassador who was running this meeting. Um, sadly, I learned he died last year, but his name was Ambassador Kamal. Uh, we became good friends. He invited me back twice to meet with him. Um, United Nations. So I went back twice to meet with Ambassador Kamal. I would never have believed. And he wrote a wonderful foreword to my first book. So mm. again, you know, I would never have believed that I would be having the ambassador, United Nations ambassador, writing a foreword to a book. But yes, we formed a friendship. Uh, it was based on our interests. It was nothing to do with our status or title at all. Yeah, it's just uh, we're all human beings at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm delighted that this current book has got um, a foreword and a blurb written again by two people who I've hugely admired and have been mentors and guides of mine as well. Fantastic, and it's a great, it's a great, great book. So well, well, well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just noticed we've only got um, a few minutes left. To how do we do this, Chris? <laughs> uh, we can always keep on going for a couple of hours, I think. Yeah. Uh, so I've got a few more questions I'd like to have asked you. Um, oh. Maybe, um, you know, do you have any final messages that you'd like to leave us with? Any final thoughts? I think, you know, thinking about uh, mediation skills and, and so on, I think my message to everybody is not to fear disruption. We do, you know, the, the, our primary response to the time we're in is fear, but we mustn't fear disruption because it's a time of creativity. I had this discussion with some legal friends I was with yesterday and they were saying, well, do you agree with conflict avoidance? And I said, no, I think we should embrace conflict and we should learn to work with it. And that's my approach. I run a course called The Magic of Evolve 
conflict. So we shouldn't be afraid of the times we're in. We should see them as an opportunity to be creative, know that we have or can find the skills and the tools to manage and turn it to opportunity. And I see the time as I did with the Millennium Accord as an opportunity to promote the skills and the tools and the mindset of conflict resolution through my books and through red button resolutions. So that's that's my message really to everybody. I really like that, and you don't don't fear it. It's it's where where there's conflict is that the points of change, aren't they? Where change is required, and absolutely, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and we we look at the world and we look at the environment and the various various sort of challenges. We actually need a lot of change right now to to resolve those issues. We do. And, you know, one of my colleagues, again, who is a great mentor, described conflict as water. You know, if you don't water your garden, it just goes brown and horrible. Yeah. You need water for things to grow and thrive. Yeah. You've got to channel it. You know, if it, if you have a deluge, you've got to have somewhere that it gets to. You've got a water butt, for example, or you've got, you know, you've got dr drain pipes and things. You've got gutters. We're channeling water. So that's what we've got to do with conflict. We've got to know it's going to rain, catch it, channel it, <laughs> call okay. Someone in if you've got a flood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I can't think of a better person to call in, um, not necessarily with a flood, but um, certainly, <laughs> with, certainly with uh, conflict than you, Jane. So it's been yeah. to you again. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and if you want to, if you want to find out more about Jane's work, go to janegun.co.uk, and that's uh, gun with two ends. Mm -hmm. .co.uk. Um, anywhere else you want to point people, Jane? Uh, well, if they want to find out about the, the mole, then uh, it's the same, but the forward slash mole forward slash. So my uh, website, janegun.co.uk forward slash mole forward slash. You can read all about the mole and the mountain and why it might be helpful to you. And I encourage everyone to become what I call a resolutionary in these times. Excellent. Well, a resolutionary. Yes, a resolutionary. <laughs> Excellent. Well, next week we're going to be talking about, thank you, about um, about really stepping up and being a an angel, really, making, um, not from a religious perspective, but stepping up with kindness and making a huge difference. And my guest next week, Molly Beddingfield, uh, has done that. She has a uh, an amazing charity called uh, Global Angels. Uh, she's also the mother, some of you might know Daniel and um, and uh, uh natalie natasha sorry beddingfield uh, as very famous um um musical stars um she is the mother of them and uh brought them up um with the two other uh, children um and homeschooled them uh, and uh, they've obviously been hugely hugely successful molly's an amazing uh, engaging um lady hugely inspirational making a huge difference in the on the on the planet and i think if you're wanting to step up to which i think this show is becoming more and more about about stepping up elevating our thinking uh, and making a, a bigger contribution to the world and to solve problems to the likes of business then it's another show you want to listen to so do join us again next week any questions or comments chris at chriscooper.co.uk always love to hear from you and uh, once again a huge thank you to my friend jane gunn thank you very much chris we thank you for listening to the chris cooper business elevation show Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.